Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And today we welcome fellow podcasters B and T from the I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist podcast, which focuses on evangelical stroke Pentecostal religious groups. So it's great to have you on the show, guys. Welcome to What Should I Think About? Awesome. Thanks for having us. We're really excited to uh, to talk to you guys. Yeah, I'm so very excited too. That introduction made me feel like I was on the BBC. Especially you've got a you've got a BBC radio voice if ever I've heard one. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm being trained by my voice actor housemate, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> very good, yeah. Excellent. Um, so just for the benefit of our audience, uh, we're calling you B&T as that's what you prefer for your podcasting activity. So uh, that's absolutely cool. Um, we've got loads to talk to you about today, but um, maybe you could just start by telling us a little bit about your history, yourselves, and um, why you wanted to, to do the podcast. Uh, I was a teenage fundamentalist. Yeah, sure. Okay. So B was pointing at me. So I'm guessing that means that I have to do the intro, which is cool. So (laughs) I um, got the idea of the podcast whilst walking one day and I was kind of meditating, to be honest. I was walking along and listening to my my, um, uh, footsteps as I was going along, just trying to, you know, calm myself, which is what I do because we're in the midst of a lockdown here. And so, you know, anxiety and lockdown blues can be a lot. So I was just walking and I I was listening to some podcasts, listening to other people's podcasts, especially uh, what's now being called deconstruction or, you know, deconstructing of one's religion. And I thought, oh, I really think we need to have a bit of an Australian voice. And so I reached out to my friend B and said, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And he was like, yeah, yeah. So so we ended up, you know, putting together this podcast. And I had this idea of the name of I was a teenage fundamentalist. And obviously coming, you know, in the lead up to that is the fact that we had been previously Pentecostal Christians and we'd walked away a long time ago. I, I really stopped attending Pentecostal churches or really any churches at all in about 1999. So we're talking a long time ago. And then B, what's yours? About 10, 15 years? Yeah, around about 2010, 2011 is when I, I left. So T and I have known each other around about 30 years. Um, we were teenage fundies together. So <laughs> I guess a lot of that... Um, you know, what this podcast was born from was us catching up, having a coffee and just talking about stuff. And I think it was it was quite cathartic doing it. So the extension of it was, hey, I wonder if other people will be interested to hear what we've got to say. And it seems that they are. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the term fundies, by the way. That's... Um... That's only an Australian could come up with that. Um, teenage fundies, brilliant. Um, we'll, we will shorten a long name and lengthen a short name. It's, it's what we do. We're, we're a complex lot. If, if your mate is John, he'll become John O. Um, right. We'll put. We'll turn. Yep. Extra syllables. We do that. We multiply syllables everywhere. It's, yep. it's how and if we he's roll. Barry, he becomes Baz. Baz. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love it. Anyway, um, yeah. I, I guess um, obviously this this podcast um, revolves around the fact that that I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So um, I, I tend to describe Jehovah's Witnesses as fundamentalist, kind of, but with other bits that you know make them unusual, but um i suppose you know doing a bit of research about your your movements and and knowing what i did about pentecostals i guess it it seems uh, very different and quite confusing to a jehovah's witness you know when when you look at all the different churches and all the different styles and the different messages that you're getting within one 
whole, it all seems quite um, confusing. Uh, I don't know whether that's something that, that you recognize. Yeah, well, I think, you know, we are the children of the Reformation. And so, uh, you know, when when one group broke away from Catholicism and then another group broke away from, you know, Lutheranism or, or mm. you know, Calvinism or whatever, and then, you know, it's just been as soon as you have a, a disagreement with someone, you start another denomination, you start another right. church. I think within Catholicism it used to be that you would start an order, right? So okay. you'd have a uniqueness yeah. about you, you'd start an order. But within within the reformation within protestantism we have just you know we break away from each other all the time that's that's what we do and so within pentecostalism that's just part of that tradition again um yeah. and we just keep starting new new groups whenever whenever we do so you've got really there was one big revival which was called the Azusa Street Revival which happened in in the US um, at the uh, end of the 19th century beginning of the 20th century and that was a group of you know I mean it had people from all different denominations it had you know congregationalists and Methodists and Presbyterians etc that it all connected around this speaking in tongues experience mm. and then from there people took that experience and you know claimed that it was the same experience as you know is spoken about in the bible which we have to take their word for it because no one knows um and then they started to spread out throughout the world and they started to send out missionaries and the pentecostal movement was born so like any good religion and i know this is true from you guys as well being xjw's started in america Mm. <laughs> yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um I, I mean pentecostals were always a bit we were always a bit scared of pentecostals so when when um when we used to go not door knocking I mean, celine was never a witness by the way i i, I raised her um uh, where well, we raised her not to uh not to believe in all that stuff but um mm -hmm. um when i was door knocking and so on if you ever knocked on the door of a pentecostal in fact normally we would know where the pentecostals lived um, because they were always a little bit scary because they did this speaking in tongues thing, which we thought was demonic. Um, and so we, we always kind of treated them a little bit, um, you know, we, we didn't really want to get too involved, um, which is kind of strange. But um, it'd be really interesting to just get a bit of a, an overview of the beliefs of, of uh, maybe that's really difficult because maybe there's lots of different sorts of beliefs. But could you just give us a kind of quick potted, tour of um what what do pentecostals believe well fundamentally excuse the pun we <laughs> were evangelicals first and foremost yeah. right so okay. that's that's the foundation the foundation is evangelicalism so things like you know, the trinity um and and you know again drawing on that sort of reformation tradition and protestant tradition so you know, a, a personal relationship with Jesus, um, baptism, whether that's full immersion or whether that's, um, uh, you know, christening and sprinkling. But within Pentecostalism, it tends to be full immersion baptism. Um, and it's an attempt to sort of go back to what we saw as being or what we were told mm. to, to, to believe was the, uh, you know, the, the, the truth from the scripture, the truth from the Bible. Mm. So, um from there, though, is this second blessing idea, which came out of, I think it came out of Methodism, um, again, so we can blame the British now for this one, <laughs> but this idea that after salvation was this this second stage, and it draws a lot from the book of Acts, and so okay. um, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, and I don't know if you remember, there was um, a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones who was actually uh, a preacher from England who who taught this in a big way um, and brought a lot of what's the word I'm looking for brought a lot of um, uh, nuttiness. No, not nuttiness. It's actually the opposite. I'm, I've gone blank on the word. He brought a lot of um, so an analysis of of the Bible and things. Let, like let's that. go with that. Mm. Let's go with mm. that um, mm. because I'm stuck. But he yeah. um, he he really taught this, and so the Pentecostals. Bought a lot of bought into a lot of that, and and then started to identify that with the speaking in tongues experience. That you have this okay. second blessing if you speak in tongues, mm -hmm. um, and so that that's really what set us apart. But then there was all these other things, and you jump in when you're ready, B. But there's things like um, healing. We believe in we believed in healing. We believed in um, miracles, prophecies. Um, we were basically, if you know anything about church history, we were the the Montanists of the the 20th 19th and 20th centuries really 
interesting. And it was very much the, uh, around the whole congregation. I mean, you everyone should experience these blessings or these gifts as well. So it wasn't just mm. something that was expected of those up the front. Um, and there was it was quite often encouraged for you to go out and go and heal someone, um, go and give them a prophecy, go and, you know, do whatever, um, pray mm. for a, a miracle in their life. So it was something that... Uh, was definitely seen as the, the thing that set us apart from the, the others. Um, and mm. quite often it was very much in others because we, we'd look down our nose at some of those more traditional, you know, Methodist, Baptist, Anglican, um, generally speaking, you know, they were seen as yeah, just whatever. Maybe they weren't even Christians sometimes. <laughs> it was, um, and, and when it came to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, well, gee, um, I mean, we we looked at, at you guys and went, oh, how strange are they? Weirdo. How incredible. <laughs> yeah. Well, more than that, we they? looked at you and said, cult, damned to an yeah. eternity in hell, mm. thinking that they're going to heaven. That's really what we thought. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all looking no, at each other, like all in your little circles going, oh, look uh, at them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting you said about the healing stuff as well, because I was um, mentioned again, we've talked about it before, I'm part of another like patreon group called the gumption club and someone was asking like looking for um anyone that's got x fundamental sort of um people just to connect with and talk to because uh, they've recently left and they're feeling a bit lonely um so everyone was sort of talking and saying oh yeah one thing one of the main reasons i left is because you know they were disabled and people kept saying like we're well, just not like praying hard enough or believing enough um or you know so just do that and then it'll be fine um, was that something that, that you saw as well? Yeah, people didn't have enough faith, generally, is mm. what it was looked upon. Um, so it was always down to the person. So if they weren't receiving a blessing or a healing or whatever, um, it was about them. It wasn't about okay. God and God's power. There's something you were doing to block it. Mm. So mm. I, I think it was definitely an interesting space because you very rarely would see somebody with a, dis a visible disability um, who was in leadership. I don't ever remember anyone in a wheelchair, for example. Um, I don't remember anybody with any sort of visible disability, do you, T? No, I think, I think uh, it's funny. I was just pondering that myself, that the church that we went to may not have been indicative of all Pentecostal churches, but there were very few disabled people in the church, let alone mm. people in leadership. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, so it makes That's sense what you were just yeah. saying, Celine, because it's like they're, they're chased out because, um, yeah. you know, they're, they're sorted out by the fact that they actually, maybe they don't have enough faith to even be here. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. So um, let, let's just tick a few things off then. Um, so um heaven you i guess the the, the the that's definitely a yes um yeah that was a big one that was a big ticket i believe in heaven um so everybody that's saved goes to heaven is that is that what they would believe um yep. Yep. hell i mean that's the big one for me um i'm surprised that when i started doing a bit of watching of, of programs about about this and reading um yeah hell is absolutely real to uh, evangelicals yeah, for sure. And and it's a big motivator too. It's a, mm. you know, you don't want to end up there. And you know, as B was just saying, there's no guarantees even though you may think you believe. There's a lot of yeah. verses in the Bible, you know, about people that think that they are but they don't or you know, the mm. synagogues of Satan and this kind of talk in Revelation. So you're always on guard. So whilst you were you, you thought you were in and I don't know what it's like in in the J dubs, but definitely within Pentecostalism, you think you're in, you think you're probably in, but you're never mm. sure. Mm. Right, I think that's uh, that's definitely. I recognise that too. Keep you on your um, toes, like exactly. It's it's a it's a system of control, isn't it, to um, ensure that you don't get too comfortable. You know, you need to do more and more and more and more because you're never quite sure whether uh, you've got. Um, you know, you're considered to be one of the righteous ones. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in in the majority going to heaven. They think that heaven exists and that a, that a certain number go to heaven, but they. They believe in uh, the the resurrection of, of everybody that's ever lived um, to the earth after the great judgment day and living on earth forever in paradise. So they, they have this quite unique um, future 
prospect. So their their hope isn't to go to heaven; it's to live on earth forever. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of fairly, uh, yeah, fairly different um, belief system. Um, but hell, yeah, that's um, that's that's really interesting. So it's a real thing: people burning forever. Not well, not necessarily burning. You, you might you might think about it as some of those metaphors. You know, like sometimes it's called the blackest darkness. Sometimes it's you know these these eternal fires. Um, but nevertheless, it's not a place you want to be, and right, it's going okay. to be a place of conscious eternal suffering. Well, and so you know whether that's you know a literal flame or, or whatever didn't matter. You just did not okay. want to go there. You didn't want to end up there, yeah. because you know, as as B said in one of our episodes, the longest time. You know, like you really don't want to be stuck yeah. there. And I yeah. suppose that and ambiguity it, makes it even worse because you you can imagine your worst fear, and that's it. It's that. Yeah, and it was you know it's often touted um, in uh, within the Pentecostal scene that. You know that eternal suffering was an eternal separation from God, and that was the the greatest suffering because right. you couldn't change that. You could have changed it, but you know what? You missed out in the times that you could have changed it. Very graceful, of course. Um, so you know, <laughs> there was a lot of talk about grace on one hand, and then um, quite a delight in the fact of people going to hell and being separated from God for eternity uh, mm. if they didn't make that decision. It didn't matter if... And, and then you'd, quite, you'd get into this grey area where people would say, well, what about those tribes in, in you know, the Chilean mountains that have never yeah. had the opportunity to repent? And people would say, oh, well, maybe they'll make it to heaven because they didn't actually have the chance to make a conscious decision. Mm. And you'd get into all these ridiculous conversations. Yeah, which was kind of funny because ultimately, and and I don't mean to be crass, but ultimately abortion is the best option if you start entertaining those ideas. Because if you abort a baby that never had a chance to to turn away from God and they've got into some sort of special heavenly realm or whatever, then ultimately that's the better place to be. Whereas if you let them live, statistics say they're more likely to reject God and God's going to put them in this, you know, blackest darkness, eternal fire, whatever. So it really doesn't make logical sense even when you're in there and you tend to sort of, and probably the same in a lot of other religions, you tend to sort of brush those things aside until you deconstruct yes. or deconvert. And then you go, yeah. oh, actually, I've always wondered mm. about that. Right. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it all starts to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about um, Jehovah's Witnesses um, view about, as I mentioned about living forever. So um, Armageddon's coming. If you die in Armageddon, you don't get to, to live forever. But if you died any time before and um, then you you can get resurrected so again there's a a logical anomaly here is that you're better off dying before Armageddon because you're, you're pretty much guaranteed a resurrection um, so it's it, the best thing you can do basically is just die which is is absolutely ridiculous um, and again but this is because you, you end up with these strange um, uh, belief systems that are kind of mm. based around lots and lots of little scriptures that are then strung together to to try and make a make a bigger point. There's also that thing of um, people often say like he'll uh, like as in God will read their hearts and then mm, know. And right. it was like you know yeah. that's touted a lot, but then it's, um, not necessarily easily backed up by scripture because then it's basically like you know so but but that's what's discussed a lot because obviously people don't want to go around imagining everyone's going to die because that mm. dissonance of life is very hard to live with um yeah absolutely it, yeah. it was interesting because we we had some uh jehovah's witnesses who you would obviously you'd get a knock on the door and mm. the watchtower magazine was obviously quite um the tool that be used and and if i think of the watchtower magazine the jehovah's witness magazine I think of two covers and one cover is someone lying down in a beautiful long grass, mm-hmm. patting a leopard and a lion yep. and otherwise deadly creatures. The other one was tanks, guns, mm-hmm. blood yeah. and guts of Armageddon. So mm-hmm. I think red it was sky. a similar. Red sky. Simil- yeah, yeah, red sky. That's right. Um, and it was a, so it was a similar narrative to, yeah. to mm-hmm. what we experienced, I think. Mm-hmm. Just not eternal. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's yeah it's very interesting. I mean, um, we we just interviewed um, 
Alexandra Stein, who has written a, a very interesting book called Terror and Love, or Terror, Love and Brainwashing. And she talks about this terror and love, um, this the way that you've got these two things that, um, I, I mean, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of there's a lot to it, but it, it these religions always have these two aspects. It's this you're terrified of it, but you're also attracted to it, and um, it, it's these two sides sides of that of that coin, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, just going back to our um, our kind of trying to understand the the, the beliefs. What about um, creation and things like that? Do they uh, do they have a, a a sort of young Earth creationist stance, or do they believe in evolution, or where where do they stand on that? I, I would say that the the most steadfast um, belief in that space is a literal seven day creation, which all right. the work was done in six days, and on the yeah. seventh day. God kicked his feet up and sat back with, I don't know, grape juice. I would imagine it wouldn't have been alcoholic because mm-hmm. um, alcohol was another thing which, you know, was was frowned upon in the right. Pentecostal scene quite often, general generalising. but um, Yeah, I think we often. got that one for the Methodists too. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we, we did. Definitely like um, <laughs> But, you know, I, I mean, very much a young earth. Generally, um, 10,000 years was mm-hmm. the the amount bandied about right, when Adam okay. and Eve were walking the earth oh, right. and um, dinosaurs, things like that mm. generally were called fake and it was science's way of trying to convince us that uh, evolution was real. Right. You did have pockets of people within fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism, that certainly did believe in evolution and mm. I was one of those people that actually didn't really care because I I used to take the stance of going whatever it is God created it and whether it took 50 billion years to evolve uh, through a big bang that God created or caused um, or whether he did it in seven days 10,000 years ago then I don't care how about about you two where did you yeah I, I think one thing to note is whilst we had our unique beliefs we still considered ourselves to be part of the broader evangelical religion so we were still very much influenced by people outside of Pentecostalism, right? So yes, you're going to have, you know, young earth creationists, you're going to have people that are going to be sort of more symbolic in their interpretation, just like evangelicalism. Um, But by and large, I think a lot of those sort of core issues like, you know, heaven, hell, um, you know, creation, healing, salvation by faith, all that kind of stuff, pretty much standard evangelical and then any sort of leeway within those any sort of spectrum of beliefs across in those core doctrines would be very similar within pentecostalism but the things that we were pretty strict on was salvation by faith um so that is you know you you confess with your mouth believe in your heart um and then that's how you're saved and then baptism and the infilling of the holy spirit those kinds of things were were crucial but they weren't added to they were added to your salvation mm. i should say okay. um there are certainly pentecostal churches and i was a part of one um when i was younger that do believe that you must speak in tongues to be saved that that becomes the salvation point but that's right. not mainstream pentecostalism okay. Okay. but there's definitely groups out there okay so um i guess we we would love to know how come you or how did you guys get out of um of these beliefs so um how did you how did that happen? Mm. Well, for me, I think I was thinking about this today when I was driving um, and I'm allowed to go 10 kilometres from my house at the moment, so it wasn't a very big drive. 15. But I was thinking 15, to myself, yeah. is it 15? Is it? There you go. Yeah, it's changed change this week. I've got to watch my tally. Um, but I was thinking to myself that I'd heard someone else once say that when they came to faith, um, they began leaving their faith. And I think that that's true of me as well. I think I really, whilst I 100% believed, and I really did, and I was 100% committed, I wanted to know more and more about the religion. And so I continually learned, you know, I was trying to find answers to the questions, etc. And I think ultimately, I studied my way out of Christianity. I, I definitely studied my way out of Pentecostalism first, and then went sort of broader evangelicalism, and then dabbled a little bit with um, smaller liberal 
um, you know, what's now called progressive Christianity. I sort of went, went into that for a little while as well, but I just didn't get the point. If you're not being saved from anything, if if there is no heaven or hell, you know, what what's the point? And mm. I, I realize that some people find their place there and they become very good people. I'm not dissing, mm. you know, the progressive Christians. I think that sure. they can be our friends because they're good neighbors and good people, mm. right? But I just got there and went, what's the point? This doesn't make yeah. any sense. Um, and so I, I'd done Bible college. I had my ministerial credential being processed. I was going to become a pastor. And then I went to a secular university to do some postgraduate studies in their in their religious school um, here in Australia. And four years of Bible college came down in one year at a secular mm-hmm. university because all of a sudden, not only were they asking the questions, they were demanding that we ask the questions. And yeah. it all just came falling down. I mean, we were looking at Jacques Derrida and people like that. And I think the first thing to go was the Bible. Um, in, in my studies, because it was interesting because Jacques Derrida and, and his idea of you know, deconstruction, interestingly enough, and, and he certainly didn't mean it necessarily in a religious context. But the argument that was brought to me by one of my lecturers was, even let, let's presuppose that this Bible is true. Let's presuppose that this Bible is a perfect book, right? Mm. Um, which nobody has the original copies anyway, mm. but let's just presuppose. As soon as you bring your imperfection, how are you, how are you, going to interpret it right and he said and look at the evidence all the people throughout the world all these different denominations all these different groups all saying different things even if the book is perfect you believe that we are imperfect and when your imperfection meets that perfection and at that point truly i just went oh and that was the beginning of the end for me it was like there goes the bible right it doesn't matter if it's perfect which it's not but it doesn't matter anyway and then from there it was just a house of cards or you know dominoes that all started to fall down over a period of time what about you b what's your story i think i mean my deconversion or deconstruction um probably happened over 12 or 13 years if i if i think back so it was it was quite a long period and i guess the best way to describe it is i kept daring myself to take bits away so mm-hmm. i'd pull one more card out from that house of cards and another and another and this ha- happened over any many many years um and you know it was even things like okay i'll accept evolution evolution's okay i'm okay with that mm-hmm. um and similar to t that I, I went and studied um i'm a social worker professionally and so there was a, a very broad worldview that was brought into my headspace and it was as i was processing that i couldn't deny some of those facts so again i'd go i'll just pull out another bit of my core belief Mm, and one day i turned around i don't think it was consciously um i I ended up definitely in a small liberal church for probably my last two three four years um and i looked around and went you know what this is a really good bunch of people Mm. it's a really social place but i don't think i've got any of god left of that original mm-hmm. belief and i i don't think i could <clears throat> reconstruct something meaningful from what i've got here that's any more meaningful than my friendships and my relationships and my community outside the church so for mm-hmm. me then it was it was time to walk and i think what happened for me was i divorced around that time when i walked away 10 or 11 years ago and it was an easy out. And I think I'd been looking for that out for quite a while. And mm-hmm. that provided the out for me. Interesting. Hey, I thought I'd point out to you, the reason why we keep saying small L liberal is because our conservative political party, ironically over here, is called the Liberal Party. Wow. So when you talk uh. to people about I became a liberal, you have to say small L liberal <laughs> so they don't think that you joined the Got cons, you. right? <laughs> just make, keeping it clear yeah i recognize that so much in that you know um that that i have and um, we we did a little poll once um on twitter about how people describe that process and there's all sorts of metaphors that people use it's really fascinating um you know house of cards yes bookshelf that's you keep putting more books on the too difficult bookshelf you know and they get more and more and then for me it was like a bag with holes in it you know the more and more holes started to appear in the end the bag is just so full of holes that it holds nothing of your faith because you know I can't accept this and I'm not sure about that and I don't really get this and I don't really get that and then in the end what's left you know so um yeah totally um 
Totally you know, agree. the other metaphor, Stephen, is tooth decay. It's the tooth is rotten from the inside out. And, and that's yeah. what happened to me. I was still holding on to this label of Christian. Even, you know, I, I walked away from church in 99, even as late as 2004, maybe even 2005, I was still saying that I was a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell. And, yeah. Yeah. but, but like tooth decay, the, the tooth looked fully formed and all good, but on the inside, it, it all rotten away. And then when I finally tap tapped it, it was, it was gone and it had been hollow for a very long time. So add that one into your um, as a metaphor one, list as well. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so ex-Jehovah's Witnesses um, have no problem calling uh, their former religion a cult. I, I call it a cult, but I also call it a high control group. I was wondering about you guys. Do you do you see your former religion in the same way? Do you call it a cult or, or is that a step too far? The first group that I was in, the, the, which is called the Revival Centres, Revival Centres, yep. and, the, and there's some still, as far as I know, in, in the UK, Revival Centres International, a splinter group called the Revival Fellowship, 100% cult. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, I used to refer to them later on as the Jehovah's Witnesses who speak in tongues oh, wow. because they shared some of your doctrines, mm-hmm. things like soul sleep, um, you know, there's um, the, the idea of living forever on earth. They'd actually bought into some of those ideas. The shunning, they Mm. shunned like a Jehovah's Witness, goodness me. That that was just a big thing that that they were into. Um, So, so yes, 100% they were a cult. And I think when we look at models of cults, you know, things like Lifton's ideas and Mm. uh, Margaret Singer's ideas, people like that, 100% they were a cult. But when we start to look at groups like the Australian Christian Churches, the you know, Hillsong um, and and these other big Pentecostal Mm. groups in Australia, Definitely some of the traits are there, but I'm concerned with calling them cults because I think if we do, then we water down the idea of cult and we take away from the groups like the Revival Center, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., that I think are far more extreme. And so I think it's a spectrum. And I think at one end of that sort of cult spectrum are the groups that I would label cult. And at the other end, they're still culty. They're still cultish, but I don't think I want to quite call them a cult because then everything's a cult and then nothing's a cult, if that makes sense. I've mm-hmm. had exactly the same conversation. Um, yeah, I, I, I am concerned about the, uh, the ever-widening uh, nets of this term to mean any group that you don't like. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Um, but, but, yeah, I... I think that's that's it's a good it's a good thing to be aware of I think and be careful of but we shouldn't be afraid of actually saying a group is is that if it if it ticks the boxes or if it if it has the um um, the characteristics yeah yeah look I agree and and I think language is forever evolving right like even the term cult once upon a time didn't mean a high controlling Mm, group right right. and and now Mm. it does so I, I agree with you but I think, you know, language is going to change and we have to change with it. And so, therefore, mm. we've got things like high control groups and this kind of mm. thing. But in answer to your question, do we think that these, these groups are cults? Ultimately, no, but certainly cultic and mm. certainly dangerous and certainly worthy of, of concern yeah. rather than, than labelling them a cult. Interesting. The What Should I Think About podcast has been going now since around November 2020 and we've really enjoyed doing it. We release at least two shows a week, it's about eight a month of course, with Sunday being an interview and Wednesday being our discussion about a new subject each week. We love you our listeners and we really value the interaction we have with you and we want to keep the podcast going. Currently I pretty much work on the podcast full time researching topics, booking guests, recording and editing, with Celine working part-time, doing very much the same things. So in order for us to keep going and continue to improve, we've reached that point in the life of a podcast where we have to make some decisions about how we support it financially. Most podcasts have ads, either that are delivered by the podcast hosts or from third parties that interrupt the show. We really don't want to do that. We want to keep the What Should I Think About podcast ad-free. So we're going to try something different to most podcasts. We'd like to ask you if you think this podcast is worth a pound or a dollar fifty or a euro twenty a month or whatever the equivalent is in your own currency. If you think it's worth that, 
we'd like to invite you to become a member or a patron for just that. So how we're doing it is we're flattening out our tiers on Patreon to just our single lowest tier. For those patrons, not only will you get the two public podcasts a week, but you'll also get exclusive video each month, bonus content of at least one a month and probably more, and exclusive access to the What Should I Think About Facebook private group, where you can contribute to our Ask Us Anything episodes coming up soon and talk about the show. We've got other plans too that will make your pound or dollar fifty even better value, but we can't say too much about that yet. We really want to make access to this community possible to everyone, and we think this minimal amount will do that, while providing the show with a small income in order for us to keep going. So the next few weeks we'll be flattening out our tiers on Patreon and providing all benefits through the lowest tier currently known as loss aversion for just a pound or its equivalent in your own currency. So please consider being part of our community. Thank you. The link to our Patreon page can be found in the show notes. I think quite often in our conversations together, T and I go, we'll talk about particular aspects and go, that was cult-like behaviour. Um, mm. And that was cultish. Um, mm. So it, definitely, um, but there are some groups, some batshit crazy Pentecostal fundamentalist groups that I would mm. definitely consider cults, um, you know, very exclusive, mm-hmm. very much um, shutting people out um, that aren't part of, of the fold, you know, that definitely there are splinter groups. What were the sort of elements based on what you've just said there that you would be like, oh, that was that was cultish or a bit culty. Yeah, look, I think some of it was very much around the exclusivity. Like if mm-hmm. they would pile on activities, so we would quite often be engaged five, if not six days, nights a week in some mm-hmm. sort of, whether it was study groups, um, youth group, a couple of times on a Sunday, all those mm-hmm. expectations of things that you had to be involved in, leaving absolutely no room for the outside world, mm-hmm. um, really trying to control that, uh, your thought processes, your ability to process anything um, was done through the lens which was given to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, you know, that was very cultish. What would you say yeah. to Yeah, I think it's those, um, I saw it the other day online and it was like, yes, we want you to study and find out for yourself. Here are the five books you can use to do so. So mm-hmm. it's very much like that. So we had those yeah. those evangelical authors. We had our bookshops that we would go to. Um, you, you know that if you go to those bookshops, then anything is going to be okay. Whereas you could go down to the Lutheran or the Catholic bookshop down the road, not necessarily going to be okay. As a matter of fact, you don't go there. And when you do, that's when you know you're on the way out, right? Because you're starting mm-hmm. to 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 dabble in liberalism yeah 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 again that's a very recognizable thing that for an xjw you know uh we weren't um and and jehovah's witnesses now are not allowed really very discouraged let's say um to look up any information about pretty much anything really um other than from the watchtower bible and tract society um publications which is considerable you know there's there's something for everything you know um whatever you're interested in yeah. there's a there's a theocratic well, book to found, tell you what to think about that. i found one that i was like laughing at because it was about the danger of romantic novels which we'll have to talk oh, yeah. about at some yeah. point where it's just like <laughs> yeah, people get the wrong idea of what romance should be like and then they explain what it should be like and like these dramatic stories of people getting like you know, swept away with romantic novels and, you know, and they one like that for everything. Well, for, for what it's worth, Celine, I've been married twice and I can tell you it is nothing like the romance novels. So maybe <laughs> the J-dubs have a point there. Yeah, but it was just, it, it was yeah, just they, very they funny. Have, they have no qualms wading into uh, to all sorts no. of aspects of people's lives. It's um, it, it really is quite uh, breathtaking, actually, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess... Um, uh, being born in is something that we we talk about quite a lot mm. on this podcast. Um, is that a is that kind of a significant thing in these groups, or or is it really about just bringing people in? What what's the you know where does it all come from? Where does it, where's the new blood come from? I suppose wherever you can get it. Um, mm-hmm. So definitely that um, 
evangelism was an enormous part of it. So mm-hmm. it, there was training around it. Like you could take a course during the week about the best ways to suck your friends in. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, We yeah, had this thing was... every week uh, in, in our meetings about all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 100%. And, and I think, um, you know, there, there certainly is Pentecostalism is one of the very few growing religions in Australia. Like it's it's very attractive, but they've also they've made it very attractive. There's great music, there's great atmosphere, there's big crowds, there's high energy, it's quite hypnotic. So you would have things like youth rallies. Um, we had this mm-hmm. thing in Australia called Youth Alive, and you would you would spend weeks prior to that priming your friends to come along because you knew it was an opportunity to save their souls. Um, The Sunday services, maybe not so much. They weren't as relative to an outsider. I mean, you would certainly bring people in. Um, Youth services, you would be at a youth service every Saturday night. It was an opportunity to do that. And I guess to cement all of this, just about every meeting you would go to, there would be an altar call. So at the end of it, it was an opportunity. There'd be a lot of a lot of guilt peppered through any sermons. Right. There would be someone who would strategically go up to a keyboard and start playing very low notes. Someone's voice would drop oh. down and they would make these emotional pleas for you to come forward. And anybody that wants to come forward now and feel the power of Jesus in their life and not go to hell, come forward. You know, so you would get that. And you he does would- it well, doesn't he? Oh, you, 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 you gave it up, dude. You could have been wealthy. You could have had really nice sneakers. <laughs> I know. That was a really well set up and well-oiled machine. I mean, you would have mm-hmm. um, positions ready of people called salvation counsellors. So mm-hmm. if people did come forward, they play, prayed the sinner's prayer, which is mm-hmm. inviting Jesus into your life. You would have salvation counsellors there ready to take these people away and talk to them and start the indoctrination Mm -hmm. from day dot, hook them into a church service, a Bible study group, youth group. Mm -hmm. It was very well done. Um, I don't know if you've got anything to add on that. Yeah, I was just going to say, but don't be deceived by the term counsellor. It was probably a two-day course, maybe even a one-day course Mm -hmm. um, on on how to be a salvation counsellor. But all the work was done by the preacher. The big preacher would stand up the front and do it all, and then you would sort of be there with the with the metaphorical nets, catching them all and steering them on to to other churches just like yours, if not yours. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. Uh, I was um, you mentioned about the Storyville, the BBC Storyville um, documentary, so I, I certainly watched that, and um, yeah, I suppose uh, it'd be nice to talk about that a little bit because um, I, I think. You kind of know some of the some of the background to uh, was it Hillsong, um, yeah, uh, mega churches they they tend to call it. Um, I think as as I was watching that though, as an ex Jehovah's Witness, um, I guess I, I felt kind of completely baffled by it, um, completely disoriented by it. As you said, it's it's all very it's it's more like a rock concert really that you're seeing or. Uh, um, you know, some sort of comedy gig or something, or a, or a mm-hmm. political rally, actually. Um, and um, they, they they sort of trace some of the characters through. And there was this young guy there; he was actually from from the UK, um, and he's he's going to get baptized. Um, and this guy demonstrates that he knows absolutely zero about the Bible. He's, you know, he. I mean, at one point, the words. I don't know what Jewish people look like comes out of his mouth. Um, and, you know, he has no idea. They see this tomb. They think, oh, that must be the Jesus tomb. That must be where Jesus was. But they just don't know anything about what. But And, and so that kind of, it's so discombobulating to me because as a Jehovah's Witness, it was all about, you know, you got to learn the truth. You got to learn all these things about the Bible and it, it relates to this and it relates to that and it's this and it's that and here's the scripture you should point to and here's that. But I didn't see any of that. It was just, this is a great place. Everybody's nice. Um, it's all about being happy and being nice and being kind and obviously contributing uh, financially. But I, I don't know, is that, a, is that a reflection of reality or is that just the way that the documentary was put together? I, I think 
you know, to, to borrow some of the language we use at work, I, use, I work in a corporation and we talk about things being customer facing and we talk about things being internal. Right. And okay. so a lot of what you're seeing there is is customer facing, right? That's yep. it's aimed not just at the people that they're trying to bring in, but it's also aimed at the at the rank and file. But okay. then on top of that, people are going to be going to Bible studies. Like you remember on the video that you saw that they were going to to people's houses, and they were, mm. you know, there were these sort of Bible studies, and people were, mm. you know, getting alongside that that woman that had had that sort of sexual assault, and yes. and all that kind of stuff is going on as well. But to really understand Hillsong, you need to sort of go back a little bit further in time to the assemblies of God. You know, we talked about Azusa Street and those missionaries came out around the world and some landed in Australia and they started this Pentecostal denominations. And the big one was the assemblies of God. And the assemblies of God had a bit of, in Australia, had a name change around 2000 and they became the Australian Christian churches. And as B was talking about before, we had these, you know, these youth alive rallies where we would have tens of thousands of young people at these concerts. And um, one of the big churches in Sydney, a guy by the name of Brian Houston, who you would have seen in the video, he raised, uh, rose to the top of the Assemblies of God and became the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God in Australia. And he was running this church called Hills Christian Life Centre, which run, ran a creative ministries of music and drama and all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was running this conference called Hillsong. And then Hillsong became extremely popular and they eventually took the, the label from this conference and applied it right. to their church and they became Hillsong. And then they broke away from the Australian Christian churches, once, which was once the AOG, and became this standalone organisation. But it's interesting because it's like they took the absolute worst things that made the AOG the AOG um, and just exemplified, just made mm. it so much bigger. And it was all mm. it was all youth alive. Rather than once, you know, a couple of times a year, you'd have these rallies. All of a sudden, they were doing them every weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that they still do have, you know, Bible studies and this kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think it's like it was in the AOG where, you know, we were, we were pretty much hokey, you know, Pentecostals, you know, we had Bible studies and we, mm-hmm. you know, bread and wine and the whole, you know, it, it was very much more like a church. Mm-hmm. Whereas Hillsong took this, would you agree, B? They took this, yeah. this razzle dazzle part of and and just you know magnified it and just made it, it so much bigger and so i think that show though sort of missed that there is still this behind the scenes churchiness that does go on and they are quite conservative in terms of their theology and their practice like you know they voted against the um the plebiscite here for same-sex marriage and they instructed their people yeah. to do so um the prime minister of australia is a Pentecostal, part of mm. the Australian Christian churches, um, but also very connected to Hillsong as well. Right. Um, and so they they are politically motivated as well. So I think that that, that Storyville show, while it was brilliant, nearly made me cry in parts because a lot of what they showed was, was my experience in the Australian mm. Christian churches. But nevertheless, um, th- there is more to it than what was shown yep. on that, on that mm-hmm. show, I think. Yeah, it's, it's very much veneer. Like you scratch the surface and that's where you get nothing. There's no depth beneath it. And mm-hmm. quite often, and, and that does come from the fact that, don't get me wrong, they are amazing musicians, incredible speakers, very emotive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get people in and they get a lot of people in and they do really, really well because of what T said, you know, they used that rally model um, but used it as an everyday tool to evangelise and get more people in the fold. It works. It's a pr- mm. proven recipe. There is no mm. doubt about it. But mm-hmm. I don't know if it creates longevity uh, within those organisations. And they do sure. have a message too. You know, their message is that God loves you and God wants to bless you and God wants to make you rich. I mean, that's another thing. That's, that's I was going to ask busy. you about that. Mm. Yeah, about the prosperity doctrine. Mm. But, um, you know, we were talking to someone the other night about this and saying that you don't need to give up your career to be, uh, you know, one of these mega church Pentecostals. As a matter of fact, they want you to be that, you know, they want you to be successful, yeah. not just so you can give, but so you can also be high profile and, you know, mm. be recruiting others. So it's very mm. much a success model. Um, and you do get the people that try to climb the success internally in the organization but they encourage you to also climb the success ladder outside the organization and then 
and then, you know, bring your wealth back to church or bring your influence back to church. And that's what I meant about them being politically motivated as well. We've got a number of MPs in our Conservative Party here in Australia, which is big L liberal, and they are Pentecostals. And they would see that their ministry is to be a, uh, a you know, a, a federal parliamentarian for Jesus. And they mm. would unashamedly say that. Wow. Yeah, see, that's interesting. What I was going to say before is obviously JWs are um, apolitical. They don't get involved with politics. Um, you know, they are, as, as they say, no part of this world, you know, bystanders um, or witnesses, you know. So it's interesting to hear about a group that is actively getting involved in politics and using that as a tool. Um, was that something that you were very like keenly aware of at the time as well when you were involved? I think it's something that has actually evolved a lot okay. more since we left. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't as political back then. There were certainly pepperings of politicisation of issues, but there's the Australian Christian Lobby in mm. Australia, which is, is quite a powerful lobby group, which really does um, work for the the conservative evangelical side of Christianity and pushes an agenda. I didn't see that as much when I was part of the fold. How about you, T? Did you experience yeah, that? Yeah, it started. I remember it started in sort of towards the late 90s. Um, there was this, uh, a group called the Family First Party, which was basically the political mm. arm of the Assemblies of God. Yeah. Um, and they they started to grow. They got some, you know, members into state parliament. And, and I think they basically dissolved in the end and rejoined the Australian Christian lobby um, is where they went. But once upon a time, Pentecostals saw, much like the J-dubs, they saw it not, sorry, excuse me, political activity not as something that God didn't want you to do, but it wasn't very spiritual. So, you mm -hmm. know, it wasn't a hard and fast rule, but but by and large, you stayed out of it. But around 2000, mm -hmm. yeah, when I was still in there, it was just starting to take mm -hmm. off. And now it's just it's crazy. I mean, the, the Australian mm -hmm. PM is a Pentecostal, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think worldwide that's that has happened. Um, you know, the US is a, a good example of that. There's, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, certain movements are, are definitely overtly saying, you know, they, they want to get into all the areas of power. Um, is it the Seven Mountains movement, I think they call it? Um, yeah. You know, yeah, so right. all these areas of influence and so on, that, that's mm -hmm. where they want their people. So, yeah, it's, um, and I think that's that's an area personally. I mean, some would argue that JWs do have certain political um, mm. agendas, but I think um, generally they, they try to, appear at least to be neutral but what yeah. that does is it it means they um they don't have any uh, you know power i think they they've uh, i think it's actually a strategically very bad move for jehovah's witnesses because nobody cares you know no, they don't vote for a start so you know why would a political party care what jehovah's witnesses think so um i think it's a mm. bad move personally but um but yeah i suppose that, that, is, that is what they're doing i suppose the thing with uh, choosing to be like apolitical or not getting involved means you're always you can't uh, well we talked about it in um, the South African apartheid issue is that then it did mean though they were following rules set by the government though so there were separate meeting rooms for you know people of colour and then for white people so mm. it's just it just means that like you know it, it means just because you're not setting the rules doesn't mean that you're not then part of the problem because you're mm. not part of the solution either. So that that's kind of like, I guess the, the, the neither neither of these situations are good. Being involved or not involved, mm. they make, they both make me feel a bit grim. Mm. <laughs> I <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's right. If you're uh, not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, you touched upon this. Um, prosperity gospel um, thing there, uh, T. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit more about that? Or, or... Well, I think I think B should because B okay. was right. I mean, we were both right into it. Don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. um, B sure. has some ripper okay. stories. Okay. Uh, well, I, I yes, I, I have some people close to me that got right into it. Mm. I definitely got into it for a bit um, and fell for the whole God wants you to be wealthy. Um, mm. Again, it's it's a spectrum. I mean, there's some, um, you definitely see it in the televangelists that very much tout the the blessing and, you know, give and you will get. Um, mm. But I think that is certainly 
a not so subtle message within the Pentecostal scene as well. And, you know, you hear things bandied around that if you give to God, then you will get it back 30, 60, 100 fold. Um, You know, so there is very much a a drive. It's like an investment plan. Give, you'll get 100 times back. It's amazing. I mean, it's the best investment. You don't give to the poor, you give to the church. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, give to the church. (laughs) But, you know, to the point where absolute blind faith of you know a story that I've, I've shared on a podcast is is someone close to me who didn't have a great deal of money because they'd given all their money away um like a significant amount of money hundred thousand uh, dollars 25 years ago um you know had a, a settlement from uh, a marriage breakdown gave every cent away because they were convinced that god would bless them and bless them so much that they would be just filthy rich they ended up with nothing but it didn't deter them from believing that god will keep Mm. blessing them and Mm. this person was a single mum who took her three children out to the airport at eight o'clock in the morning and sat there until 10 o'clock at night believing um that she had enough faith for someone to come up to her with four airline tickets um to a destination which she had put it out there in faith um, with, you know, they would hand them money, they would hand them uh, accommodation, you know, everything. So it gets to that point where it is purely ridiculous because, um, you know, it's, it's a message that all God cares about is blessing people materially. Mm. Yeah, and it's all about your faith. I, I tell the story about when I went to the shopping centre and, you know, the multiple sclerosis organisation were raffling off a, a car, a Mercedes-Benz. So I went up, laid hands on it, closed, you know, closed my eyes. People wouldn't have known necessarily, sort of a little bit under my breath and claimed it in the name of Jesus um, and then <laughs> believed that I was going to win this car. But the, the irony is I didn't buy a ticket because that wouldn't have been faith. Right. So now, spoiler alert, didn't win. Didn't <laughs> win the car. <laughs> the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> it's amazing how we look we look back on our lives and we, we see ourselves doing these things in our in our memories and we think, um, you know, yeah, I, I think about the hours I spent knocking on doors and uh the wasted years you know I, I do from time to time think about that I'm, I'm kind of over the the anger of it now but um for, yeah. for a while after I left there was that um that yeah feeling of you know what did I do uh but yeah I guess we've all I, got that I did see a great meme um throughout mm-hmm. COVID you know obviously there's been a lot of lockdowns and the meme was you think it's bad now wait till you wait till the Jehovah's Witnesses realise everyone's home. So, you know, it was... <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, well, I mean, I... Coming down. They sent Are letters they? instead. Yeah, yeah. they sent letters. letter writing now. We and, got an um, ominous letter because um, it freaked my house out. She didn't know they were doing that. And we just got mm-hmm. a handwritten letter in the post. And she's like, who sends handwritten letters? It's mm-hmm. like, we're writing to you in the name of God. And she's just like, ah, it's terrifying. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah, and, you know, they drop an email at the bottom like if you'd like to learn more please email oh. it da, da, da. yeah it's very strange Jeez. very strange Jeez. Mm. yeah it's a strange um jehovah's witnesses um that they i think they're going through a bit of a change at the moment i think there's a bit of a, a kind of a metamorphosis going on personally i mean when i was when i was uh, in it you know we'd have stories about um you know, brothers that would swim across crocodile-infested lakes to get to meetings and or rivers and to get to meetings and assemblies and so on. But, um, but yeah, with the COVID thing, everybody's just gone right. I mean, which I'm glad about in a way because some of my relatives are witnesses, so I, I want them to, you know, to be careful. But um, yeah, it's they're, they're very different <laughs> in that respect. Um, so that the meetings are closed. They're still not going back to meetings. Uh, Kingdom halls are locked up. No, they're, they're all zooming. Yeah, they're all zooming still. Mm. I I think the Jehovah's Witnesses and, you know, evangelical Christians, foundationally, I think it's very similar. Mm. You know, and I know that the Jehovah's Witnesses love to point out their points of difference, you know, like, Mm. you know, we don't have heaven like you say, we don't have hell like you say, you know, Jesus wasn't crucified like you say. They love to point all these points and and they're, they're, you know, life and death, these, you know, these big differences Mm, um but ultimately i think it's the same 
I think yeah. it's it comes down to belonging to the group. You're in or you're out. There's that dualism. Mm -hmm. You know, you're either in or you're out and you can be, you know, whether it's, you know, shunned like a Jehovah's Witness or just drifted away and cut off like an evangelical, that's very similar. Um, mm. And I think that's why, you know, we're on this podcast talking because we know mm. that the, the, the foundational or the, the, the functional practices, very, very similar, yeah. you know, regardless yeah. of these sort of, yep. you know, belief differences. No, absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a kind of strange... Um, intimacy that you feel with with people who have left these sorts of groups and um, you recognize so much of of what they talk about in their lives um and yeah you can be from a different country different culture entirely and you recognize so much um which is is kind of uh yeah kind of weird but but i guess offers offers as a chance to um because one of the hardest things when you do leave a group like this is is to you know, you feel lonely, you know, very simply put, it's, it's a lonely place and you can feel very isolated. But I guess one of the things that podcasts like ours and yours do is is to say, actually, there are lots of people that have been through the same sorts of things. And so part of what we do is to, to let people tell their stories. So, um, and I think you, you guys do the same. So I think it's, um, yeah, I was going to, actually, I was going to finish by asking you about your podcast and um, what, what your plans are for it and, um you know what what you what you want to do with it as as we go forward it's a good question um we we didn't come in with any strategy we came in going let's press record and you know you can definitely pick that up from the difference in season one to season two and even you know as we progress in season one we certainly become a bit better at it that's for sure yeah we have a 17 dollar theme song now we do we we bought <laughs> a theme song um, it was amazing. It's good. It's, I like it. And, and, we, and we do love it. We do love it. It sort of heights us up as we come in. But um, I, I think it's evolved. I mean, it's evolved now to what has become a community. And, you know, the Facebook group is a growing community of um, a few hundred people. Um, oh, people are coming to that daily. Um, some in our old language, we would have been saying we're saving more souls. Um, but <laughs> we're definitely not saying that now. But but it is a place to come. And, and I guess one thing that we've tried to make a very, very clear distinction is this is about, it's not about um, getting in there and bagging out particular people, going back to your past and stewing over it. It's about mm. trying to pull the things from your past that were good. The shit stuff, leave it there. Leave it there, process it, and get some help to process it if you need to. There's some good uh, counsellors out there and psychologists that can certainly help you work through that stuff and process it. But let's see, because there's, there's some good stuff in there. There's some really good things that I guess... At work. least funny, if not good, at least funny. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> stuff right. Stuff that we laugh at, you know, and, and we're happy to call the bullshit, you know, yeah. and, and we do deal with some some dark issues. Like we just did an episode on, you know, sexual predators in, in mega churches, right? So mm -hmm. as much as B's saying, you know, leave the bat, you know, we, we pull it out. But even sure. from that, we try to draw what did we learn? What do we, what mm -hmm. do we know? And so, yeah, we're telling our stories. Um, yep. as we go and it's sort of chronologically it's episodic we'll sometimes jump backwards and forwards but the other thing that we do is um, we interview people so we bring them in mm -hmm. and we let them tell their stories as well so we try to pepper those through so it's not just yep. our white male anglo voices we do mm -hmm. try to bring women in we bring people from different cultures and that kind of thing as well great well it's a it's a really interesting and very enjoyable uh, podcast it was the name that drew me to it initially um i just loved that that name i thought that's because it had that humor in it which um you know we we try to include humor in in the podcast too because it it could become a really just depressing dark uh tale one after the other and as you say there are some very humorous elements to it and of course there are some really bad things but um yeah i guess modeling that um that optimistic view of right what's next you know what what mm -hmm. i'm what, what can i how can i use what i've what's happened to me and um yep. uh yeah do the best i can in the future i think is a really important message mm -hmm. um is, is there anything that we've missed that you really wanted to to say that you wanted to talk about guys i, I can't think of anything no mm -hmm. no I, I guess you know for us it's life's too short to be bitter and twisted um and if what we can do to to help anyone process the stuff that they've come out the other side and actually um, 
I guess, send a bit of a, a, a warning shot across the bow of some people mm. that might be dipping their toe in the water mm. and know mm. what to look out for and know some of the yep. dangers of this space. It, it can be very attractive, um, but I guess there is other ways to, to find community to find acceptance and it doesn't have to be through these sort of groups which mm-hmm. quite often prey on you in in many different ways um and if you do something that is not within their liking then they're very quick to either pull you up on it or kick you out so yeah or destroy you exactly yeah right. absolutely destroy you so you know we don't want people to be subject to that life's too short for that but mm. um Tia, have you got anything that you? No, I agree. Like I agree. It's 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 not a it's not a good place to be. And as much as we don't want to live in regret, hundred percent wish I hadn't joined. You know, mm. and I know that my life would be better. My son, who's um, sixteen, came to me a year or so ago and said, "Hey, my friends invited me along to this church. Actually, it would have been more than that because it would have been pre-COVID. But he came to me and said, "Oh, you know, my friends invited me along to this." this group and and i asked him the name and i you know knew the pastor he used to be a bible college lecturer and i said you know i'll 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 go along with you um and then when i started explaining to him no this is like dad's group you know this is actually very similar and here's why and in the end he said okay i'm not going but he his friend gave him a bible and he brought it home he brought home this niv study bible and i was Mm. like oh you know i used to have one of those i think he used to have two of those um (laughs) but it's dangerous ultimately it's dangerous and you know i would never let my children go unaccompanied i i would rather them go to a nightclub to be honest than i would wow. to go to one of these churches um actually no let, let me let me backtrack and say i wouldn't want them to go to either but <laughs> nevertheless they're dangerous and and i don't want to see people get sucked in so we are we are sounding an alarm as much as we are having a bit of a laugh and yeah. remembering mm-hmm. the, the stupid things we said and did mm. brilliant mm. well thank you so much celine um have you got mm-hmm. anything to add before we finish no i think i think we'll finish yeah. on good We've, words from, from absolutely that's yeah. great words to finish on really enjoyed talking to you thank you so much for coming mm-hmm. on the podcast um i'll repeat your your podcast is called i was a teenage fundamentalist available on all the good podcast apps um i'm sure and um yeah it's been a real pleasure talking to you b and t thank you very much thank you awesome thank you guys we've loved yeah, love the chat us. it's been awesome what Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production. 